Hello and welcome to the Wild Islands podcast. This is a special episode of our podcast where we're celebrating and discussing Earth Day. So Pierre, what is Earth Day? Oh, Earth Day is observed annually every year on the 22nd of April and it's a massive global... Well, I don't know how big it is, okay? But lots of people care about it if they care about the Earth and it's to raise awareness and appreciation for our planet and all its nature and environment. Yeah, is that that about right? I think that's about right. And and I think it is quite big because it's certainly one of the ones that I heard of like back in the Dark Ages. Yeah, we. I mean, I guess we don't want to get too cynical this early on, but I suppose it's probably quite large because a lot of companies like to do a bit of greenwashing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's also to promote conservation and sustainability, whatever that means, because that's also used for greenwashing. Um, yeah. <laughs> right, I do remember us saying we weren't going to get so cynical so early, but never mind. Basically... It's a day that reminds us of the importance of protecting our planet. So, let's get stuck in. So Liz, what's this year's theme? This year's theme is really cool and it is invest in our planet. And how do we do that, Liz? We can do that in loads of different ways. So, first of all, it could simply be that we're highlighting the importance of dedicating our time, our resources and our energy to solve the climate crisis and other environmental issues. But why would we want to do that, Liz? What about the economy? Well, actually, I think we could argue that a healthy planet will equal a healthy humanity and a healthy economy. You're sounding like a member of the Anti-Growth Coalition. Seeing as I have no idea what that means. <laughs> I don't think anyone does. <laughs> what is that? Um, so it will mean loads of different things. The best thing to do is to educate ourselves about what it means because education is how we enact change. And that could be through something like carbon literacy. That could be through starting a, I don't know, a recycling group. But remember, recycling is the last thing. We want to reduce our consumption reuse and recycling should be the very last thing yeah, there's a lot more in there i know i know there. there's a lot more but in we there. should just go back to basics you know um because a lot of people don't want people to care about the environment because they want to line their pockets with gold um but the important thing to remember is we should care about the world and the environment because it is our f-ing life support system yeah yeah, yeah. Simple. end of episode. End of episode. <laughs> um but yeah no actually there's so much research that shows that Humans are healthy and happy when we are in nature, when we're connected to the ecosystem that supports us. Amen. Yeah, yeah. We're getting very hippie as well today, aren't we? Oh, terrible. (laughs) It is Earth Day after all. It is Earth Day. And if we don't care about our planet, then we won't be healthy. End of. That is a good point. So eat your greens and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, actually, even if it's just moving away from processed food and eating more vegetables. We should probably say this podcast is not a how-to guide on how to be more ethical and sustainable. It is just ramblings. But actually, sometimes by rambling, we learn more. And the really cool thing about our podcast is that 
if you've got things you want us to talk about, we'll talk about them. Um, and we learn so much by just researching for the podcast. So what are some of the biggest threats facing wildlife today and how can we address them? And how does World Earth Day help that? Bloody Did hell. I say that too fast? No, I got that. That was a, That's a lot, isn't it? That's a loaded question. <laughs> Very loaded question. Um, what's the biggest threat facing wildlife today? Well, I mean, humanity. We're sat here. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I mean, actually, it's, it's, it's our activities. So climate change and biodiversity loss are different, but they're inextricably linked. Because of us. Because of us. Um, so actually, again, it all comes back to us. So we can protect wildlife, but if we're not protecting their habitats, then there's not much point, to be honest. But we should be protecting their habitats and the wildlife because there are food, be that meat or fish or greens. How, so how does climate change and pollution affect wildlife populations? The climate changes naturally, but it changes very, very slowly. Yeah. And then anthropogenic, so human impacts, have accelerated this. So before you might get a climate shift, you know, very, very gradually over hundreds of years. And now we're getting it... What, thousands of years? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's more like thousands, tens of thousands, millennia, so on. And we're doing it in decades. We're pouring petrol on a tea-like handle. Well, that's a horrible mental image, but you're not wrong. I mean, ah. the sea off Mexico was on fire in the last it year was, or so. It was. There was also, I don't know if you saw, but there was oil pouring out in pool. It's the rates. Wildlife cannot keep up with this swift change. Some of it, some wildlife will keep up. And unfortunately, then that's everything out of balance. And it's not a healthy ecosystem. It's where one species is dominating and actually it's just as dangerous as us. So we could get very hippie on this and just say, we just need balance, man. We do need balance. That's mm. Yeah, I mean, it's hippie, but it's, it's true. We need balance. And pollution, well, pollution takes many forms. It could be oil spills and everything will die. Or it could be, you know, microplastics. We still don't know what the long-term impacts of that will be. Or, Can't be great. I, I imagine not. Um, or PCBs. So, you know, this is where... These, Industrial runoff. Yeah, these forever chemicals build up in, in, in everything. And it can, make, it can make animals infertile. I've no idea if it has the same effect on humans. Probably. But, you know, these are things that we need to care about. So... And sewage. I mean, I, yeah. I do think we should give a little shout out to how clean the beaches are on the UK right now, you know. I do feel you're being a tiny bit sarcastic, but I don't disagree. And I it's think horrific. that's important. Actually, you know, that's a really good thing that people could do. Write to your MP, lobby the government. It is appalling that these water companies charge people water processing fees. And we've discovered that they're effectively pumping raw sewage into mm. drinking water, the sea, um, the chalk streams, you know, vital, delicate habitats. And this is where we should care about wildlife because it's not just a dolphin, it's you. Let alone a dolphin being hit by a bog. You could be swimming off the coast in Cornwall and just get hit by a sanitary product. Well, I was thinking, it's happened. I was, I, oh my goodness, that is a truly horrific mental image. image. <laughs> um, but I was thinking more, you know, that, you know, what's in human waste makes can make you really, really sick. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, um, but yes, being hit in the face with <laughs> any, any human waste would be truly <laughs> awful. So actually, you know, that's a really good thing, you know, be lobbying yeah. your MPs, your local councils. So do you know of any successful stories about how we can conserve wildlife? 
there are loads at all different levels and often when we talk about conservation success stories it's, it's usually somewhere far flung and exotic and then you're like oh well, that's good they're, they're doing that over there but actually we should look closer to home so have you heard of NEP? No. Oh my goodness so NEP is this big estate in England and they changed it from a traditional sort of farming agricultural using using chemicals and they went chemical free they rewilded it uh, rewilded it and they gradually started introducing the large herbivores that would have existed oh, I have heard yeah. About this. yeah they couldn't get permission to introduce wild boars which <sighs> uh yeah so they they had bring back the wolves and the rest no actually seriously yeah. for a healthy balanced ecosystem but they bought they went with the old traditional ancient breeds so the tamworth pigs who immediately when they got in there they started rooting up invertebrates in the only bit of the estate that hadn't been sort of sterilized from all of this long-term chemical use so that was on the vergies and then they start it started to spread from these small areas they introduced um horses they couldn't get the old traditional cattle because um i think they're a longhorn cattle and they can actually be quite dangerous so they got another species that does well so then introducing these large animals clears the undergrowth and the scrub and it opens it up and then you gradually get all of the the regeneration so it will start with a habitat that's really degraded and as you gradually improve it it creates other micro habitats they've now got storks you know the storks came back to britain for the first time in something crazy like 400 years because of the work nep is now a international standard yeah but also international breeding ground for um uh, the purple emperor um which, which is a butterfly it is and it's stunningly beautiful oh that, that, that is yeah, beautiful i'm just showing pierre a picture and it really is this gorgeous you can understand why it's called an emperor it's like this royal vibrant oh it's stunning but th these are, what nep has shown is that you can't just conserve a species no. it has to be this habitat um and i mean we've also seen the success in with beavers in the uk so areas where beavers have been reintroduced and have been established for a long time now in those terrible floods we had last year beavers are ecosystem engineers and those areas weren't experiencing the flooding in the areas where we've destroyed the meandering rivers so how do we get here then is it about setting a, a direction for everyone and saying we want to reintroduce nature we want to rewild or is this just examples of um individuals trudging forwards and leading the way i think it's it's small groups who said if not me who, who? yeah and just going for it um, That's a shame, is it not, though? You want everyone to be on board with it. And... Yeah, but, but everyone learns at a different point and, and a different speed. And also, it, again, you know, I was saying if something's far fr flung and tropical, then, you know, they're doing it over there and yeah. I don't need to worry about it. But also, you know, just locally, I think a lot of people don't really think or consider the wildlife on island. It, it's kind of not there. This is our urban metropolis and we will do as we please. Yeah, I think you're right. As soon as it's at my, it might affect me negatively, then people close their minds. And this is, again, why education is so important. That's what I love about the blue, is that it was a really positive look at our islands. Even though we talk about the things that are going wrong, we didn't go in with a judgmental attitude. It was a nice plug for the film. But I've got a great example, actually. Baru off Oldney. The, That's a brilliant example. So, 
I, I can probably explain because I think I know a bit I about it. I think you Although should. Ed, Ed, you probably know more. Ed, Ed is our little editor. <laughs> Pierre definitely <laughs> knows more because Pierre used to live in Alderney and I've only ever been to Baru once. And I say been, I mean I've been to in a boat to Baru. So I'm not so sure about the... Ex- why have I only been in a boat to Baru? Ooh. Um, so I'm not sure about the exact dates, but essentially parts of the year the island is closed off for puffin breeding season. We have puffins in, in the Bailey. We, we see them off home, but you've never seen as many puffins as you've seen in Baru. And I suspect part of the reason is far more go there because it's much safer for them to be there. So the Wildlife Trust there got the community on side and said, because um, Baru is open to the public, and they said we should shut the island to the public for these months of the year to protect the puffins. And it has protected the puffins. And, and just by actually having an olive branch you know with the community and saying why it's important and why we should do it they got people on side who otherwise might have been against it who wanted to go there fishing or exploring and i think what they did really well is that now you have the puffin cams yes so it's like okay we're going to close it but we're going to show you with the puffin cameras why it's important that we close it yes so we we still get to see how cool it is and actually I mean, now you've got the seals on the other side of Baru as well. Yeah. So by making this one simple thing, let's remove humans, we're stopping all the burrows collapsing because humans walking on the top can collapse the burrows. For the puffins. For the puffins. But it's it's benefited other species as well. It's creating safe spaces for nature, isn't it? And And that doesn't mean shutting areas all the time, but like during peak season, during breeding season, it's quite important that, the animals feel safe or they won't breed yeah yeah that in a nutshell god i am a conservationist you are so i think that brings us really nicely on to our final question so Pierre, as you are, as far as I'm concerned, the tech guru, how are technology and innovation being used to study and protect wildlife? And what are some promising or maybe unusual new approaches? Oh, blimey. I don't know if I could answer all of that. I mean, even just what you said, puffing cams and education, from my point of view, is obviously really important. And being able to make nature accessible and show people, I think, is such a good way of getting people on board and caring about nature. But, you know, um, there's no end of technological advancement and being used to even map map areas of nature with drones and, yeah, all these different things. But to be honest, I prefer not to focus on technology so much and focus on low-tech stuff. So I think to protect and to rewild, as people like to say, we should let nature be free to do what nature does. So... Um, I think in Guernsey, like pollinator patches have done quite well. And that is essentially just allowing grassland to grow how it naturally would without cutting it. And yeah, I think, I mean, there's definitely something to be said about an integration of both. Um, like I think technology can be really useful in showing people nature and documenting and recording. Even, even Making thing, it accessible. Yeah, but even just think about simple things like when we do seagrass surveys... You could use an A4 piece of paper or you could use your phone and you can plot the exact location of where the bed is, etc. Like It just makes it so much easier. Actually, sometimes having a printed map and then actually drawing on the map 
is can be more accurate than because in Guernsey GPS sometimes can really not be you should, very. We should definitely precise. not include that because what I'm trying to say is technology is useful from that point of view. So I know you said that that was going to be the last question, but you've highlighted something that I hadn't really re- really thought about being related to it, but it is. So actually, we have to be ethical in what we do, and there are ethical considerations involved in wildlife conservation. And at the end of the day, we do have to balance human needs with the needs of other species. So it's all very well us saying, yeah, let's go and do this, that and the other. But actually, when we're monitoring and protecting wildlife, we're also having an impact just by being there. Mm. What are some of the ethical considerations? Because Baru is a, a, a unique example where they were able to close the island um, for at least part of the year and have that habitat safe and this is something that comes up a lot when I talk to other conservationists and other wildlife recorders is that if we record something and we make that information public we're actually putting things at risk absolutely I mean just think you know with the film we're very careful about giving away locations of just about anything because you want people to be aware of the nature that surrounds us and to think about it and consider it but actually it could be potentially dangerous if you go and tell everyone where it is and that's happened you know multiple times in multiple locations um but I think from our point of view obviously with the filming we were I would say beacons of ethical practice no but (laughs) we were because i spent most of the time going no 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 we're not going to touch that and but we 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 had so careful our core method to begin with and this podcast was going to be called it (laughs) don't touch Touch nature yeah don't touch that (laughs) (laughs) because essentially you you might want to monitor it but you don't want to impact it and i've talked to richard lord quite a few times actually about um what he the work he used to do at sea fisheries and he he says he actually realised that the work he was doing and partaking in was actually having a direct impact itself. So that that is, you know, no one wants to do that work in conservation. And just, yeah, as I was saying, from the point of view of filmmaking, when we're monitoring the dolphins, there is so mu- so many studies or whatever research about how to film them and be around them safely so you're not impacting their pod you know, going about their day-to-day business, like um, only spending like a certain amount of time with them. If you, if there are other boats in the area, basically steering clear. Like it's just all those little things we need to consider um, as conservationists. But I think for the general public to consider those things, it's got to be more obvious. And yeah, and and actually, this is where that education piece comes in, isn't it? Because we know that you know we should maintain course we should there's only a certain speed we shouldn't Mm. drive at them we shouldn't corral them we shouldn't but we know and sometimes I mean I've been following dolphins for several years now and I still get so overexcited so I can completely understand when people have an impact because they're so delighted to see something and they don't realize what they're doing is harmful so yeah it is a problem isn't it and I think I think Yes, we we jokingly say don't touch nature, but it is kind of a it is it is important, you know. Um, it's not a cuddly teddy bear; no. it's a living animal going about its day to day life. And if you disrupt it, 
potentially if thousands of people disrupt it, which can happen and does happen, you can sort of dismantle an entire ecosystem. So obviously we don't want to tell people what to do and like we wouldn't want to stop people because we genuinely believe there's a benefit in people seeing nature and even being in nature and being part of it. But you've got to always consider what you're actually doing. I think you've hit on something really important there. It's it's not a cuddly animal. You know, a, a bottlenose dolphin can be 400 kilos. Mm. Um, you know, the Rizzo's dolphin can top 500 kilos. These are large animals and they're smart. Um, so a few years ago, someone went, saw dolphins and jumped in the water to go swimming with them. I was just going to bring that do up. do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think we, we've got to think smart, you know, because yeah. actually someone could get in, into a lot it's of trouble really in that situation. hurt. And and the point there is, I mean, it's a, a beautiful thing that social media means we can all get so much information out of fingertips. But just quickly putting on social media, oh, I've swum with dolphins, everyone should do this. And then it travels like wildlife, uh, not wildlife, what? then it travels what? like wildfire and everyone's thinking, oh, yes, I'd love to do that. When actually, it's not the best idea. <laughs> no, it's definitely not. And in fact, right now, uh, so the BDLMR, and the, I think it was the Cornish Wildlife Trust put out a, an announcement. They've had dead seals turn up on their beaches and they've been tested positive for COVID. And mm. they've also found um, COVID in cetaceans, so in, in whales and dolphins, or I think specifically dolphins. So we've given COVID yeah. to these animals and they're dying. So uh, this is a really... Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, there is a balance, you know... And yeah, yeah, we could go we on about that. Really I think could. the other thing, just to touch on quickly, ethical considerations, because this is Earth Day, it's not Conservation Day. No, you've that's got to very con- true. considering what we actually do in our day to day life, because I think this is where a lot of the confusion spills over. Is we all live our human life in our human towns and our human cities, and then when you see wildlife, you get excited as if you're seeing it on a TV or something, but. We, if we want to think more about nature, we need to think about it as well and what we do and how that might impact it. You know, the products you buy, not the food use, you buy. Yeah, or not using weed killer. Yeah, exactly. Just all these basic things and something like Ethical Consumption, which is an online magazine that like you can search any product and it tells you how ethical it is, how environmentally friendly it is. It's a very useful That's resource so cool. if anyone's wanting to get in and care about what they and for buy anyone, and where they buy. For anyone listening, I didn't know about this. This is so cool. I'm going to look at that when I get home. Yeah. Con- see? A convert. <laughs> yeah, no, but you see, I've learned something new today. This We're all learning all the time and it's nothing to be ashamed of. It should be celebrated. And we should love our earth. Yeah, I think that that is a really good place to end. So join us next time for more weird, wonderful and wildlife-related stuff. Bye. Bye. Bye.